this parable is about a man who had two sons. Now, I also have two daughters. I have on any given day uh, repeated to many people along life's way that I'm thankful for three of them and we're worried about the other one. But I never identify who is who. I never identify which one I may be talking about. And the kids know that. This passage this morning, when I usually take things a verse at a time, we're going to go a few verses at a time today, but I want you to get a gist for what's going on in the story. And don't jump to conclusions till we get to them. There's a man that had two sons. The younger said, said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Having two sons, it was Jewish law that the oldest son would always get double what everybody else got. If there had been ten sons, the oldest son would have gotten twice what every other one got. In this particular instance, because there are two sons, the older son would have gotten two-thirds, the younger son just a third. And it says that not many days after this, that younger son gathered everything he had. And he took a journey to a far country and he squandered, interestingly the scripture says, his property. We don't even know if he had time to sell it yet in order to get the money for what he was doing. Maybe he mortgaged it, maybe he did whatever he did, but he he was able to squander it. And when he had spent everything, a famine, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country and sent, he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. There's a few things I want to point out in this passage that I just read. I don't even know if you can see all that letters on your screen. But it says reckless living. He was living recklessly. It says that a famine arose, a, a pretty bad famine arose. And it says that this man became in deep need, so deep that he chose to get a job feeding pigs, so bad that he wanted to eat what he was feeding the pigs. But worst of all, I think, is what that last sentence is. Again, I don't know if you can see it up there, but the last little phrase that's given to us is this. No one gave him anything. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think about who gives him everything. Who in his past had given him everything. And that, of course, was his father. But when he came to himself, what does that mean? When he came to his senses, when he came to a point where he could bring himself to admit his wrong, when he came to a place where he knew he needed to repent, whatever that means, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread. But here I am in this hunger. I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against God and against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. And notice what he says. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Treat me as if I'm a hired servant. And he did just that. He arose, he came to his father, but as he is coming... He's a long way off. His father looks and sees him. And I love what it says, the father felt compassion. You ever hear anybody say to you, I know how you feel, and they really couldn't have any idea how you feel? It's probably true a lot of the time. But people will say, you know, I know how it is. You don't have a clue. 
father really knew. And he runs, and he embraces him, and he kisses him. This son of his who has come to his senses, this son of him, his who has decided to come home, he embraces him and he kisses him. And the son begins a speech. Remember the speech he's going to give his dad? Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you, I am not worthy to be your son, but. There in the 22nd verse is a really big word, but. I mean, here he is. He he has practiced this all the way home. Here's what I'm going to say. When I get home, I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I am not worthy to be your son, but if you could treat me as one of your hired servants. So he gets home, and out it starts. He's doing real good. Father, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but. But the father said to the servants, Bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. We will eat and we will celebrate for this. My son was dead, he's alive again, he's lost, he's found. And they did just that. They began to celebrate. I don't know if I made the point clear enough or not, but the son never got to finish his speech. He didn't get to say what he wanted to say. The father interrupts, bring out the robe, bring out the ring, get the shoes. You know who they gave robes to? They gave robes to the guest of honor. You know who they gave rings to? Somebody that had a lot of authority. You know who they gave shoes to? Sandals? It wasn't to the hired servants. They were barefoot. Remember what the son's going to say? Treat me as one of your hired servants. And here's his father getting out the clothes for the best guest, getting out the ring to give him his authority, and getting out the sandals that are going to represent that he is not at all ever going to be treated as one of the hired servants. Because he's not a slave. He's a free man. And I know you can't read everything that's on that screen, so I'll read it to you. His son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing, and he called a servant and asked, What does this mean? And he said to him, Your brother's come. Your father's killed the fattened calf. He's received him back safe and sound. Yesterday, I texted my son in Texas. He did not respond. I texted him again. He did not respond. Did him a third time and he did not respond. Now, I can't speak for any of you, but when one of my kids don't respond after three texts, I have begun to believe that a nuclear force has hit them, that something terrible has occurred. So I pick up the phone and I call him and I say, when he answers, Why aren't you responding to my texts? He said, Maybe because I'm busy. <laughs> son is back safe and sound your dad's killed the fatted calf he's put the robe on him he's put the shoes on him they're having a party because he is okay and the brother who should have been saying I'm so glad my brother's safe I'm so glad he's okay you got to look at what this says he was angry and refused to go in his father came out and pleaded with him he said to his father look I've served you all 
gears. I never displayed a command that you gave me, and you never even gave me a goat that I could go out and have a party with my friends. But when this son of yours came, <laughs> if you've raised children, and you've talked to your spouse before you've used this language, <laughs> you've said, that son of yours out there, <laughs> that child of yours, he says, this son of yours came home. He's devoured your property. You've, you've killed the fattened calf for him. And He said, son, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. It was the right thing to celebrate and to be happy. Your brother, who was dead, has been found alive. He was lost, but we have discovered him. You know, I noticed something in this passage, and I know you can't see it on that. That's my mistake. I apologize. Did you note that the older son wasn't home when the party began? He had to ask what's going on. Now, now maybe he was busy, but I note that his father saw that boy coming before, before he was really even in sight. That's because his father was looking for him. Maybe this brother who comes home angry and he won't go in. Maybe, maybe he was distant with the family, so to speak. We've all got that person in our family. Most families do. But your brother who was dead's alive. Your brother who was lost, he's found. We had to kill the fatted calf. We had to put a robe on him. We had to put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. He is alive and well, and we will celebrate. Do all you want. I'm not going into that party. When this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. Hmm. This son of yours. You know, I've got a, I've got a brother. I, I have, actually have three brothers, but the one I'm thinking of, and again, I won't identify him by name, but, but I've got a brother who, I love him dearly. But every time I look at his social media posts, I get slightly embarrassed. I'm like, no, now those of you that are friends of mine, don't go hunting for my brother's Facebook page. You stop that. <laughs> but he'll post stuff, and, I, and every time he posts, I think to myself, yeah, he's slipping closer to the edge. <laughs> he's just getting a little bit further to the edge there. One day he's just going to fall off, and we won't know what happened to him. Hear what the son said. He said, this son of yours, not even going to give him a name, not even going to acknowledge that he's my brother. I want you to look for a minute at how the, the father responds. It was fitting to celebrate and gla be glad for this, your brother. Did you hear that? I mean, the son says, this son of yours. You hear what the father said? This, your brother, was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. When when the older brother says, this son of yours, I want you to hear it the right way. I'm not sure I know how to get this across, but that was a critical remark. This son of yours, who has wasted your money 
on prostitutes and wild living. This son of yours. But what you may not see there, church, is this. He's not only criticizing the brother. He's criticizing the father. Every once in a while when one of my children would do something colorful, I would remind Janice that that was her son. (laughs) It's exactly what's going on here. I mean, when they come and they say, oh, they're wonderful students, they get straight A's, they're doing great, blah, 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 blah. That's my boy. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But when the stupid stuff comes out, well, it's got to be her side of the family. This, This older brother is saying, this son of yours, the, the one that belongs to you, the one that you raised and allowed to become what he's become. It's not only his fault, it's your fault too. But notice what the father says. Words of affirmation. It, it, it's right that we celebrate and be glad. Your brother was dead, he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Who wouldn't throw a party? Let's stop for a minute and talk about this young son for just a moment. Where did he go? I know the, the scripture says a far distant country. Can I just tell you that a far distant country isn't as far as you think? Because a far distant country for any of us doesn't necessarily involve geography as much as it involves attitude. It doesn't involve geography as much as it involves the heart. Every once in a while, and it jumps into my mind a lot these days, the Southwest Airlines commercial, want to get away? You ever have that? I mean, there's days when when that commercial just runs through my brain. Want to get away? The younger son did. He wanted a far country, but you got to understand what he really wanted. He wanted away from home, away from his father, away from his brother, away. He wanted to get away. But there's something different. Remember, I took you for context's sake, and I told you that we had to understand where Jesus said this. You remember the 99 sheep, the 100 sheep, and one goes straying off, right? That's lost. That sheep was lost because the shepherd was not doing his job. Something's happened to allow that to happen. Now, the, the, the woman who is in her home and she loses the coin, that's carelessness. Lost the coin, but we've all done that, right? But there's something unique about this younger son. He didn't lose it through carelessness. This isn't something that just happened because no one was paying attention. This was what he wanted. This was an act of his will. What put him on the road to being lost was not that the shepherd turned his head for 10 minutes. It was not that someone had stuck him in the pocket and there was a hole in the pocket. This was about his will. This was about what he was going to do. As much as he was at home and he should have loved at home, he wanted his way. As much as he was at home and he should have loved his family, he wanted other people. He wanted to get away. That's what he wanted to do. When he got out there and he was in the mess he was in, he realized that. But but I want to remind you of something. The older brother, he had a will too. I'm going to try to get him out of the way quickly. Do you remember 
when this lawyer comes to Jesus and Luke and says, what's the one thing I've got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what do you see written in the law? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, your neighbors, yourself. And he says, you've done it right. Do this and you will live. So it's pretty simple, isn't it? You've got to love God. You've got to love your neighbor. In the case of the older brother, his neighbor was his brother. And what I want you to see is that the will of this older brother was at play as well. I'm not going in there with him. I've been here all these years, and I've been doing the right thing, the right way, all these years, and he comes home, and you kill the fatted calf and a robe and a ring and a shoes. I'm not going in there, that son of yours. And all of that was a result of the big brother's will. I told you that what he said, this son of yours, was an accusation. I want you to notice something. He couldn't forgive his brother for what he did. The father did. He could not forgive his brother for what he did, but more importantly, and hear this real good, he couldn't forgive his father for what he did. You got it? He couldn't forgive his father. Yeah, the older brother did stay home. He did his father's will. He was a hard worker. He was faithful. But he did it because he felt obligated. It wasn't out of love. It really wasn't in here. It was here. Now, we all know the story of Jonah, don't we? Jonah, get on that boat. Get down there and tell those people to repent. He gets on the boat, and he jumps, you know, the whole nine yards. He winds up in the belly of a whale. And eventually he says, okay, God, I'll do it. And he goes, and he does what God tells him to do. And when they do repent, he's mad. <laughs> That's the older brother. <laughs> yeah, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. But I'm not going to do it because it's flowing out of here. I'm going to do it because it's what I'm supposed to do. I'm not going in that house. I'm not celebrating with that man. And just before I go to my next slide, I want to tell you something. There are far more older brothers in the world than there are younger ones who refuse to forgive and refuse to fellowship and refuse to celebrate and refuse to do the things that God would have them to do because it hasn't happened here. It's all happened here. What you get out of that is a bunch of grumpy people who are unhappy with those around them as well as with the God who died for them. What does the word prodigal mean? We call it the prodigal, right? The prodigal. What does that mean? It means to be wasteful. How many of you knew that before I said it? That's all it means. It means to be wasteful. What was he wasteful of? The inheritance, his father's love, his father's forgiveness. The obvious meaning in this story is related to money, things. He wanted more. We know that by what he does. Not many days later, the younger son, this is the 13th verse, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey to a far country, and there he squandered his property and reckless living. More things, 
More things for him. He valued the things more than the people. That's his family. He valued the pleasure more than the responsibility. He valued the distant country far more than what he had right here at home on the family farm. At the end of the day, his problem was something that we all, I think, deal with, and that's covetousness. There's an argument in another place in Luke where two brothers are arguing over their inheritance, and they come to Jesus, and the one brother says, Master, divide the inheritance that I've got coming to me between me and my brother. I've had it with him. Let's just divide it up now and get it over with. Jesus' response is not to divide it up. His response is to say this, and I want you to look at it because it has everything to do with this story today. Jesus said, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Do you know why your life does not exist in the abundance of your possessions? Because the fact that you want more and more indicates you will never be satisfied. No matter how much you obtain, no matter how much you get, there'll always be a longing for one more of something. And people who live with that kind of a life, that that heart that desires something away from here and over there, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, or I want what they've got because they've got what looks like they're having happening. The problem with that, church, is that you will live a life not only dissatisfied in what you have, but disappointed in who you are. This young man had it made. His father had set him up for life. He had love. He had a roof over his head. He had a place to eat and a place to work. He had plenty to do. But it didn't look so good to him right there where he was. What did he waste? You decide. But I'll take you to the bottom line. You can never enjoy what you have if you ignore the one who has you. Let me stop and explain to you what that means. This wasteful prodigal son was dissatisfied in his heart and it gave him a dissatisfied life. I'll repeat it to you. He had a place to live, a family to love, a life to live and he walked away from it. He was certain that new scenery would do something for him. He was certain that new people would do something for him. He was certain that if he started his own life, it would be great. You know what he became? He became miserable as all get out. Because when the money ran out and the famine came on the scene and the abundance was gone and life got tough, he was feeding pigs and hoping that he could eat something that the pigs dropped to the ground. He became the poster child for Southwest Airlines. Want to get away? 
You know, I live in or, or work in a, in a unique situation. We, we pastors in the United Methodist Church move from church to church. We are appointed annually. I am your pastor right now. I may not be July 1st. Every year they come and they talk to us and they say to us in the fall, how do you feel about this? You want to stay? You want to go? Or do you not care? Some bishops have done away with the you don't care. They make you decide. But I have had a policy across 37 years. I have never requested to leave a church bar one. Bar one. And you all know, most of you know that story. And you know that I had to get out of there for my family's sake. But in 36 years, I have always checked, it's okay to leave me alone, box. And you know, strangely enough, God's worked that out for me. For all my grumping and all my complaining that you hear from time to time, can I tell you something? God has been incredibly good to this pastor. And I've watched some of my colleagues, and they want to climb the ladder. <laughs> they want to pack their bags every three years because that's what's going to move them up to a bigger salary, a bigger responsibility, and all that stuff. And I watch in time as they get divorced and lose their kids, wind up needing help that is sad. But it's not just pastors. How about the husband who wants to get away? How about the fathers that just want to check out? How about the child who's decided they want to go anywhere but here? How about the Christian who's lived their walk for Jesus for years, maybe decades, and decide to chuck it to the side? How about people who make a commitment to a body of believers and decide to walk away? You can name it a thousand different ways, can't you? Because we all have that wasteful prodigal inside of us somewhere. The perfect church does not exist. The perfect spouse does not exist. The perfect family has not yet been created. The perfect son or daughter does not arrive. The perfect mom or dad is not here. And whatever it is that you're choosing to think about leaving for, I want to promise you something, it ain't there. I hear so many couples come to me in the midst of the throes of something terrible they're about to do for their family, and they'll say, but God wants me to be happy. And I'll say to them, show me the verse on that. Because God has never said he wants us to be happy, church. He wants us to be faithful. But that spiritual ADHD kicks in time and again. And we decide we've got to get to the far country and we get to the far country to find out that it isn't as green as it looked. And we've wasted so much and lost so much and failed so much that we find ourselves miserable. Isn't it something? I can hear, I don't know if you can hear it or not, but I can hear it in the story. I can hear this younger son saying as he goes out the door, his dad says, where are you going? I'm going to find myself. Can you hear that? I can hear that. 
I'm fueled up and I'm ready to go. I'm going to find myself. He goes out there to find himself, and you know what he finds? He finds misery. And it all has to do with the will. He wasn't lost. He wasn't misplaced. He did it on his own. And what he wasted, church, please get this. It wasn't his father's money. It was his father's love. It was there all the time. That checkbook was fat and full and always compounding. It was never going to be bankrupt. His father's love was going to be there no matter what happened. But he couldn't see it. Do you think the father wanted to see that son walk out the door? I can tell you right now the answer is no. But he did not take away from his son's autonomy. I can tell you what I'd have said. <laughs> Don't let that door hit you to behind. <laughs> you know what God said? You got a choice. The will that this son exercised was a thing that's very simple it's called sin. The father's very best for that son was right there in the center of God's will where he was. But he stepped out of it. Sin always promises us some kind of freedom, church. Sin always says, I'm going to let you free. What, what did the serpent say to Adam and Eve in the garden? God knows that when you eat from that fruit, you'll be like him. Well, Adam and Eve, I see, well... He gave us all this. It's beautiful. It's nice. Uh, and he's going to take care of us here. But we wonder what else there might be. We'll be like him? Okay, I'll buy you on that. And the minute they bit is the minute it went downhill. Sin always promises a freedom. And isn't it interesting that Jesus comes along in the Gospel of John and says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Isn't it interesting that Paul says in the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death. We think, we, we think that it's going to do something for us. And yeah, it's going to do something for you. It's going to pay you the gift of death. This young man went looking for himself, but he lost not only himself, he lost everything he already had. His father really, really, really loved him. Church, before you go, I want to tell you something. And I'm going to disappoint you with this. Some of you are going to be a little bit bothered with what I'm about to say. God's love cannot save you. I'm going to say it to you again. God's love cannot save you. Because you're going to say to me, God loves the whole world, Joel. Yeah, that's true. But the whole world is not going to be saved. That's why the Bible talks about hell. It's the reason Paul says in the book of Ephesians, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Yeah, God loves you. But God's grace 
is God's love and action that chooses to pay the price for us to be saved. This father had an infinite love for his son, and when the son finally came back, he paid the price for the robe. He paid the price for the ring. He paid the price for the sandals. In church, when you and I choose to be prodigals, God's infinite love, he uses his grace, his unmerited favor for us to die for our sins. When the prodigal walked away, he found the worst there was. I've, I've used the word repeatedly. He was miserable. The word I've used is misery. I'll use it again right now. He, when he walked away, he found misery. But isn't it interesting that when he walked back, he found mercy? The brother said, I'm not going in there. There was no mercy in that. There was no forgiveness in that. There was anger and a whole lot of other stuff in that. But you know what the father did? The father ran out, hugged his son, killed the fatted calf, put the robe on his body, put the ring on his finger, put the sandal on his feet, and said, let's throw a party. Because even though you ignore the one that you had before you left, you've come back home. And what you could have enjoyed and really truly did enjoy back then but just didn't realize, it's here for you in abundance for the rest of your life. Don't answer your question I'm about to give you, but I want you to think about it. Who are you? Are you the prodigal? Are you the older brother? Because most of us are one or the other. And before you choose to take a walk from what God's already given you, take a look around. Because God already has you. He just needs you to pay attention to that so you can enjoy it. If you don't know the grace of Jesus Christ this morning, I want to promise you that there's nothing better. And if you want to experience that grace for yourself, he's waiting to knock on your heart's door and to come into your life. I say it not because I'm trying to... to, to be poetic. I want you to know that God literally wants to come into your life. He already loves you. And his mercy is great. And before you walk off the ranch, walk into his arms. Because he'll never let you go. Amen. Eve, that we will sing this final song. And we will pray a benediction.